So the election of 2016, I think I can say definitively uh, that in my lifetime, I believe this was by far the most divisive election we've ever, that I've ever experienced in my lifetime. We had two flawed candidates, and, and those flaws were elevated, and fear was spoken of, and fear was trumped up, and, and, uh, and just to a high-fevered pitch. And our country was divided into voting blocks, us versus them, and, and here in the aftermath of that election, it doesn't look like that is going to change anytime soon. Some are thrilled. Some are terrified. And some don't even know what to think. The question from our text is not how can we get everyone on the same page. It is about how are we as Christians going to treat those who are on different pages than us. Enemies come in all shapes and forms from Political, religious, that neighbor that doesn't mow their yard across from you. That neighboring hunting club that likes to put their deer stands right up next to our hunting club. That, that team, that person cheers for that team, and I don't like that team. There's just so many ways that we can set up in our heart people as enemies to very substantial things to very trivial things. And yet, we as Christians are called to love our enemies, to treat them with kindness, despite, of, despite how they treat us. So first, before we get into the outline, I want to look at the historical context here. It says, Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, this is the last of the six phrases that we have in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you've heard this, but I tell you this. But this one is a little different. Uh, with the rest of them, it's, it's kind of things that, that were said, but were being misinterpreted. But what we have here is a statement that cannot be found in the Old Testament. This statement of you should... Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Is that found anywhere in the Old Testament? Of course not. It's true that God favored Israel. Uh, that they were His chosen people. And it is true that uh, many nations were dealt very harshly with because uh, they lived in the, the land that God had promised His people. But we know from the very onset that when when, when God came and said that He was going to make a nation out of Abraham, He says from the very get-go that you're going to be so that you can be a blessing to the nations. right? Not just so that you can be create a nation, but that you can be a blessing to all nations. Many scholars believe that the Pharisees, now keep in mind, this is a time where uh, the average person would not have had access to the Old Testament. Uh, that they trusted, they had to trust the scribes and the Pharisees to tell them what was in there. And, and so that's how it was possible for if the Pharisees wanted to misinterpret or to even misstate the Scriptures, it was easy for them to do so. And many uh, believe that this 
teaching was taken from Leviticus 19.18. It says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so they took this teaching and said, Hey, it says here that, man, we should, should really treat our people well. And they took it to mean we're to treat our people well. And that means we can treat everybody else with hate. But in the very same chapter of Leviticus 19, look what we see here. In verse 10 it says, And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. In other words, leave some some behind for the poor and for those who are strangers in our land that are not don't belong to us. Verse 34 is even more declarative. It says, "You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you." And you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But there was great confusion as to how to define your neighbor. Jesus summed up the law, right? He said, he said um, he, someone came and said, what's the greatest commandment? And, and Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is likened to it that you love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what is the question that's immediately posed to Jesus? Who is my neighbor? Because they wanted, like, like, because there was this mentality in Israel that, hey, you look after Israel and everyone else is just dogs. And so how does Jesus answer He answers with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Which would have been an oxymoron to an Israelite. Because they were despised. The Samaritans were despised. And yet Jesus tells the story of a Good Samaritan who helped a fellow Israelite. And so Jesus' point in the parable is this, is that everyone is your neighbor. And so we could actually say, in a very real way, that we don't really have any enemies. We have neighbors. And that is everyone that lives on this earth is our neighbor who we are to treat with love and kindness. So let's see some of the things that God calls us to, that Jesus calls us to. The first thing He does here is Jesus calls us to actively love and pray for those who actively hate us. Verse 44, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. First thing I want you to notice is that this is love demonstrated by action. Now, our society's view of love is tends to be a little a lot less than biblical. Because when we think about love, it is all, all about emotion. It's all about your feelings towards someone. That, that you have just these sweet feelings. I, I love that person. 
This is why we speak of uh, falling in and out of love, is that it's like this force of emotions that we can't, that we can't control that's just, that just comes and goes. And so we hear a command like this, and it seems, it seems like this is impossible. How can I possibly have warm and fuzzy feelings for someone that hates me? For someone that is actively persecuting me? How can I possibly have all these positive emotions towards them? But feelings are not the central force in biblical love. Action is. So Jesus is not commanding warm and clappy and happy feelings towards your enemy. God is commanding selfless acts of goodness to your enemy. I think Proverbs 25-21 sums it up well when it says, when it gets to the heart of it, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. That's the command. It is, it is love them in action. Not necessarily have your emotions wrapped up in it all. Now, we, we find in Scriptures that obedience through good action will usually kind of get our feelings headed in that direction. Feelings are involved. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying they're not the central thing of loving people, especially loving your enemies. It's not warm and fuzzies. It's actions of goodness to those who hate us. We cannot always control how we feel about another person, but we can control how we treat them. We do not have to like everyone, but we should treat everyone as if we do like. And when we think of it in that terms, it's, it's a hard command, but it's not impossible. We see that it's a love that's demonstrated at all, all, all times. It's not, it not only says that we are to love our enemies, it also says to pray for them. Now, praying for an enemy may, may actually be the biggest tell concerning your heart for your enemy. Acting nice is one thing. It is hard, but, but it kind of, you know, when you're out in public, you want to kind of, hey, I want people to think I'm a nice person, so even if I don't like somebody, I'll, I'll be cordial and I'll greet them and I'll be nice to them. But praying for someone is different. That is you being kind and concerned about your enemy when no one, no one but God Himself watch there's possibly no better indicator of whether your heart is right towards a person than whether or not you can pray that god would be good to them and to mean it again as we talked some last week jesus will do this exact thing as he hung on the cross he will say father all these people out here that are crucifying me, that are screaming crucify me, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He prays that, 
that they would receive the goodness of God despite their heinous acts towards Him. And the most beautiful thing about that is that we actually get to see that prayer fulfilled. At Pentecost, when, when Peter stands up, he talks to the people, he says, you crucified Christ. You were that crowd. And you need to believe. And what happened? Multitude came to Christ that day. And so we see this this great prayer for His enemies, we actually see it fulfilled in the Scriptures. To pray to our enemies does not minimize the pain that they maybe have caused us. We are not, we're not even praying that justice will not be done. We know that with God, justice is always done. We're just praying that, that the justice that they receive will be justice that comes through the cross. That they would know justice in a in Jesus who paid for their sins, just like you know the Father through Jesus paying the price for your sins. We're not praying that in an abandonment of justice, we're just praying that they would know the goodness of God and forgiveness of God that we so desperately needed as well. We see here that we actively love those who actively hate us notice we're not talking about some abstract boogeyman of an enemy that's that's been fed to us by the media we are talking that verse says those who persecute you this is those who are actively involved in making your life hard those actively involved in hurting you So Jesus' command right here is to say you are to love, to pray for those who persecute you, who are hurting you. Can you honestly in your life say that there's anyone in your life that should be outside of your kindness, outside of, of your love that's been commanded for you to have here? Next, we see that Jesus calls us to model our treatment of others after our Father. Verse 45, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God is calling us to do what He does every single day. He loves His friends. He loves those who, calls him, who call Him Lord. And He loves those who refuse to. God loves His sons and daughters. Those are those that through faith have been adopted into His family. Those who have been forgiven uh, in Christ through His sacrifice on the cross. But let us not forget that all those who are sons of da- and daughters of God today were once enemies of God. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died 
for us. Though God's active love towards us, um, through God's active love towards us, that actively hated Him, we received His amazing grace that brought us into His everlasting family. But we were once enemies. We once hated Him. We once didn't want to live according to His law. We were by nature children of wrath, and yet He showed love by bringing us into His family. But God also loves those who remain His enemies. Every morning, God gives a sunrise. Many times, a beautiful sunrise. And that sunrise is to be seen by His people and enjoyed as worship from His people. And, and it's meant to bring a smile also to the heathen. In the spring, when you anxiously wait for the rains to come, to water your seeds of your garden, and you look down the street and there's some lost person there with their garden and the rains come down, there's no hidden umbrella, is there, to keep the good rains off of that unbeliever's garden because God in His graciousness is giving His common grace to them as well and all of our provision. He gives jobs and He gives the air in the lungs of those who would curse Him. We serve a, a God of kindness that serves Billy Graham and serves the most vilest God-hater on the planet. If we're going to be known as His children, then we are going to have to be those that actively love all people. After all, there's always a reason to love. Either there is someone in your life that, that knows Jesus, and therefore they are a brother or sister in Christ, and therefore they're in your family. They are your family, and so you, you have a great basis for love there, even though maybe they, they believe some different things about life, but, but they know Jesus, your family. But if the person who doesn't know God, they certainly need your love. And they need your pity because they don't know God. No wonder they're going to hurt you. No wonder they're going to do evil, unjust things. They don't know God. They don't have the grace that you've been given and the Spirit that's working in your heart. So it's not, it's, 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 you should look at them and say they don't have God. That's why they are the way they are. That's why they seek to hurt me. To show kindness to them. We know that, that, that God's love for the lost is a purposeful love. In Romans 2.4 it says, it talks about God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Could it be that the kindness of the people of God could also lead people to repentance? Of course. It just is God's purpose for His love for the lost to, to provide for them, to take care of them, is that maybe 
would come to know him. That he gives them opportunity on this earth and lets them live and doesn't cut them down like they deserve to give them the possibility of repenting. And it's so true that us being kind can lead people to repentance. And Jesus calls us to be different from everybody else. Look what it says in verse 46-47. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. In a world that stands, in a country, in a world and country that stands so divided in this moment, does it not give us an opportunity as Christians to stand out as those who love all people? Those that are kind to all people. There is not, there is, uh, there's absolutely nothing amazing about loving those who love you back. Anybody can love someone that thinks you're a great person. We love. I personally very much enjoy people that think Adam Thomas is great. They're great people. That's easy to do. It's not radical to treat people with kindness that treat you with kindness. That does not pique anyone's interest in your life. But if you would be loving to one who hates you, that, that is what's perplexing the world. That's when the world goes, what is up with this? I thought, at least Christians, I thought they were people that didn't like sinners and cast sinners aside, why are they treating me with such kindness and love? The world will say, this is different, and we'll say, yeah, this is Jesus. This is what Jesus did to me. He loved his enemy and made me his own. Everybody greets those like them. Takes nothing special to be kind to a fellow Republican or fellow liberal, or a fellow Latino, or um, a favorite, or a fellow white person, or a fellow black person that looks just like us and and speaks just like us. But it's a whole other thing to go out of our way to be kind to those who are different. Maybe you think that those demanding, uh, those adults demanding safe spaces to get over an election, maybe you think they're ridiculous. And maybe they are ridiculous. But the question becomes, how will you treat them? With love and kindness, or will you just cast them aside as whiny babies? We hold certain truths about traditional marriage. 
truths that if we're going to remain faithful to the Word of God, that we cannot abandon no matter what culture says. But what do you do when you get to your kid's soccer practice and the only people there, you're there early, and the only other couple is a, is a same-sex couple? Those are the days we're heading for if, if you haven't experienced it yet. Will you try to avoid them and be the people that they think you are? Or will you be kind to them, speak to them, love them? Let us be those who are very careful that we don't get caught up in the culture war, but that we would be known as people of love. Now, I'm not at all preaching to you the kind of you do you and I'll do me and, or that God loves all of us and accepts us just as the way we are. We don't have to change. The truth is the truth. And without the truth, there is no gospel. But we don't have to abandon any principles to be kind, folks. We don't have to abandon principles to be kind, to be gracious, to be loving. Let us be those who shock the world because we love those who hate us and treat those that maybe are not in our particular tribe, whatever that tribe may be, and treat them with kindness. This, this is what will perplex the world. This is what will send the world to us asking questions about how can anyone love like that. And lastly, Jesus calls us to perfection. Like as if these commands were not heavy enough, He says, love your enemies and, and pray for those who persecute you. All right, by, by the way, when you're doing all that, you therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect like God. As if turning the cheek and all these other commands that have proceeded are not staggering enough, Jesus goes on to say, while you're doing that, go ahead and be perfect like God is. Wow, thanks Jesus. No pressure there. I think he ends there for two reasons. The first being is that we are to fight for, perfect, for perfection. Fight for perfection. We see these teachings and our temptation is to say it's too hard. Or we tend to, to say, well, I mean, look at the yeah, I look at the people in my neighborhood and I'm pretty loving compared to them. and I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm just tempted to take that bar and say, well, it's all, you know, I'm a saved sinner. I'm saved by grace, so I don't really have to worry about these commands. And, and for whatever reason, we, we take the bar and we lower it where we don't really have to do any work in our life. To, we just bring it down to our level. We can just jump over it without any effort. And Jesus tells us, no. 
I'm not letting you off the hook that easy. I'm calling you to fight every day of your life to be more like the Heavenly Father. This is the aim of of every Christian, that every action done and every word spoke would be spoken would be the action that the Father would would that the, the same action that the Father would take, that the same words that the Father would speak. Our call, whether we have been a Christian for a month or a Christian for 80 years, is to spend the rest of this day and tomorrow and all of next week and all of this month and all of next year to fight for perfection. To fight to be more like God. And yet we would all say, it's not going to happen. I will never be perfect. Not in this life. And the Scriptures are clear on that. You won't. Which is why we so desperately need Jesus. Because make no mistake, when you stand before the judgment of God, you will be required to be absolutely perfect. That any good or righteous rags that you can bring, that there are any good or righteousness of your own that you can bring will be as filthy rags to the Holy God. Our only hope is to be clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. So if you're here and you're an unbeliever, I want you to know something. If you stand before God, trusting that you've loved your enemies well enough, you're trusting that, that you've been good enough to somehow earn the love and affection of the Holy God. You're going to be judged. And you're going to be found very wanting. And you're going to pay for your sins for an eternity in hell. But if you would, on this day... On this very day, on this very morning, if you would trust Jesus Christ and all that He has done and all that He did and, and, and he, the holy, perfect life that He lived as God's Son and then the cross uh, that He laid His life down on and that He received the wrath of God that was meant for you so that your sins could be placed on Him and then so you would receive the righteousness of God you will stand before God and you will be perfect. If you trust Him this morning. I'll be uh, right here. I would love to talk with you about how to receive that perfect righteousness that only God can give. And I would say to, the, to everyone else, would anybody be willing to say, 
man, I got no work to do in this area. I love everybody perfectly. I'm kind to everyone. I don't think anyone here would say that we don't need to spend some time meditating on what Jesus commands here and, and walking through our life and thinking about some things, some changes that we need to make to be more loving and more kind. As we stand for the truth, yes. But we do so in a kind and loving way. Loving all. As you stand, I'm going to ask that uh, our musicians come and I'm going to pray that God would work in all of our hearts this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, God, help us to take seriously a call to be perfect. As Christians, God, help us not to lower the standard, but to always, every day, aim to be more like you. God, help us to fight for that with love towards others and loving our enemies and every other issue in our life that's not in conformity with who you are. God, I pray that there's anyone here who doesn't know you and is trusting on their own righteousness and their own love for their enemies. God, I pray that they would trust in that no more but cast themselves on you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.